0: there, Curb the Binge listeners. I'm your host, Katya, and I am bringing to you today an episode that feels so um, close to my heart because the woman that I speak to is a new friend and she's very uh, open, raw, and vulnerable about her own journey. And honestly, I think in my own healing journey, the most Um, one of the most helpful things in general has been two-sided. One has been listening to the stories of others where, um, you know, some of Janine Roth's books have been like this for me, where simply hearing the story of um, somebody's struggles, wherein they're candid, they're totally open and raw about the parts that most of us Would shrink away from because they're not pretty. Hearing those uh, details can be very healing because it normalizes our experience, right? So that, and then um, the other side of that has been actually sharing and speaking about my own experience. Um, And part of why that has been healing is because when I speak about my experience, it becomes clear to me that i am not my binge eating that i am not my um you know any other patterns in my life it's something i'm going through it's something i'm facing and working with and the fact that i'm able to talk about it speaks to the fact that i'm facing it and not sweeping it under the rug any longer so in fact every time i talk about something openly it starts to um actually bring up in me a realization that I'm facing this head on and uh, it might be taking some time and that's fine, but I'm actually being proactive. And that starts to train my brain to believe in turn that this is something that uh, I'm going to get to the, the other side of. And like I said, this could be binge eating. That's what it has been for me in the past. And also, you know, sort of, there are even fresher issues now that are with me that I, you know, because it's like peeling back an onion, right? We're never done with our issues um, while we're still living, at least that I know of. And and so there are other issues that this is very applicable to. Um, the friend that I speak with today is Allison Rothman. She is a coach and a yoga instructor. She does body work. Um, she is. She's been studying healing in different uh, ways and modalities for many for many years, for decades now. And she'll. Um, I'll, you'll, I'll give you a further introduction to her and her work. But we speak, and um, she tells us her story, and her path has not been a straight one. It's really been kind of a wild and curvy road. And that's something that she, um, openly admits to readily admits. Um, and so that is kind of the jewel and the nugget that I want to bring to you today is that sometimes, and actually I think all the time, the road is not a straight and narrow one. That's not to say it can't be, maybe it is for some, I've never seen it. Um, I've seen the road be pretty wild with tangles and those that, you know, those are both, um, sometimes the frustrating parts of the journey and also the beauty because as, um, one of my great yoga instructors in the Iyengar method, um, Manuso Manos, as he said in a recent workshop, our beauty does not come from our consistencies. Our beauty comes from our inconsistencies, our imperfections, and the ways in which we kind of grow lumps and uh, asymmetries and inconsistencies throughout life. And this is what, in fact, gives us character, makes us beautiful. And from The Velveteen Rabbit, uh, is it Marjorie Williams? I believe um, it's something like, and once you are real, you can't be ugly, except to those who don't understand. That um, Those are some of the truest words ever spoken in my book, no pun intended. If you love this podcast, please, please go to iTunes, give us a review. A positive review will increase our visibility to other folks who need this work, who need this experience to be normalized, who need to know that they are not out there alone suffering and that they have, um, sisters and brothers out there experiencing the same. Okay. Please leave us an iTunes review, uh, positive, constructive, anything you have to say, we want to hear it, but, uh, be part of the conversation, please. You're important and your voice matters. It's unique. Um, Then also, if you feel like you really want to support the podcast and keep us going, please go to curbthebinge.com forward slash podcast, singular, and um, hit that donate button at the top of the page in the center there. And you'll be able to donate um, some funds, whatever is meaningful and seems doable to you. And that'll help us keep going, not only financially, but also energetically. It makes a huge difference. Every time we get a little support, um, it helps us feel like, you know what? This is really being appreciated. It's needed. And we're that much more excited and motivated and gung ho to keep going. So those are two wonderful ways to support us. And um, also feel free to send in any questions that you have to info at curbthevenge.com. If there's um, a specific kind of uh, podcast that you'd like to see in the future, if there is a question that you have, Um, If I can't answer it, then I'll ask one of my experts that I have on the show or uh, that I'm constantly meeting and networking with, and I'll try to get you an answer. And maybe, and of course, I'll always ask you if this is okay. I'll make a whole podcast out of it, Um, of course, with anonymity uh, to you. Um, And yeah, privacy is always respected. Um, the other thing you could do is join our private secret Facebook group. Uh, we already have some good conversations on there. Some wonderful folks who are taking this journey really seriously and, uh, using binge eating disorder. In fact, as a path to growth and really, um, committed to solving their own riddles. That's something I highly respect, and I feel a lot of gratitude for. Um, and you folks, you know who you are. I'm really, really thankful to you. If you're not currently part of the secret private Facebook group, give me a uh, shoot me an email at info at curbthebinge.com, and I will sign you up to be part of the private Facebook group. You can join our conversations. Um, or just kind of scope it out until you feel ready to join. So that's about it for now, folks. Now, uh, please enjoy listening to my conversation with the uh, wonderful Alison Rothman. Hi, everybody. You're listening to Curb the Binge the podcast, and I am here with my friend, my new dear friend, Allison Rothman. She is a longtime practitioner of the healing arts and is devoted to embodiment as a spiritual path. She's a body worker, a yoga and meditation instructor, and a coach. Allison has been in recovery from a debilitating eating disorder for almost 20 years. She's committed to supporting women to attain unconditional self-acceptance in their bodies and in their lives. She believes that compassionately embodying oneself is the only way to find true peace and healing. Her business, Embody Your Life, integrates yoga, movement, meditation, body work, somatic therapy nutrition, herbs, and flower essences, providing a holistic experience for clients. She offers individual and group sessions in person and via Skype, as well as retreats locally and around the country. And she lives in Boulder, Colorado, as I do with her seven-year-old son. Hi, Allison. It's so good to have you here.
1: Hi. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor.
0: Yeah. Um... So would you, you know, I just want to start by kind of telling our audience we, we met recently, right. We met through a friend, mutual friend, and, um, she connected us because she really felt like, or, you know, there was this constellation we're on a similar path, both with our histories, but also where we're going now in terms of wanting to bring healing around this to our sisters on this planet, to other women. So Um, I, could you just tell us a little bit about, you know, that was sort of the formal introduction, a little bit about you, where you're at, um, now and kind of just get us started with what you'd like to bring today.
1: Sure. So, um, you know, as I said in my, in my bio, I have been, in recovery for, uh, almost 20 years from a very debilitating and, um, just a really dysfunctional way of relating to food and myself and my body. And, um, I was not functioning in my life at all. And, um, you know, it's I kinda look back and wonder how I even made it through each day. Um, but I did. And um, Can you tell
0: us, do you mind sharing what that eating disorder looked like? Sure. I don't
1: mind at all. Um, <clears throat> you know, it varied between um well it was constant obsession um with food, what I was eating, what I wasn't eating, um, how much I had eaten, um, Mm. you know, if I had done the perfect amount of consumption for the day to um obsessing with my with the purge. And the purge for me varied. My main outlet was exercise. I would um, you know, there were times in my life where I was literally going to the gym two times a day, um, I would have to bring several changes of shirts because I would get so sweaty because I was there working out so hard to, um, to, to let go of, of what I had consumed, right. um, to, you know, I would become paralyzed by, by the, um, dysfunction and would, um, went through a period of just binging and not even having the energy, surge, you know, you no, know, I just collapse. And then it would be, I would, you know, resume consciousness and I would go right back to it, you know? So, yes. um, yeah, it was a very dark time and, um, you know, I hit a wall and I know, I know I'm kind of going off on a on a tangent here.
0: Please tell us the story. I think, you know, that's the most important piece in some way. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It feels, it feels important to share this because I, I really understand what it, what it feels like to hit rock bottom. And um, I felt like I had variations of what rock bottom was over many years and somehow something kept me going and then um, I was about 24 years old and just couldn't um, do anything anymore and knew I was living in, I was living outside of Aspen, actually. I had done like the ski bomb thing. Mm-hmm. And I was in therapy three times a week. I couldn't hold down a job. Um, I was just in, a my mind was constantly obsessing about um, just what i was eating and how i was going to exercise and um i just my my main relationship was to my eating disorder which i call i call ed (laughs) so ed (laughs) was was my intimacy and was my life and was my um reason for getting up in the morning. And um, you know, it's it's um clearly not a healthy way of living. And I bottomed out and I bottomed out hard. And um I can remember sitting on the couch and calling my dad and just crying and just saying, you know, I I just I, I need help. I need I need something serious to happen here because you know, I was, I was not well and I wanted to be
0: well. And, um, mm. that's that, that feels really important. What you just said yeah. about having the intention to be somewhere different than you were at.
1: Yeah. It was like, I knew as miserable as I was, I knew that there was, there was more and, you know, that, that life was supposed to be enjoyed and I couldn't yeah. find the of, pleasure or enjoyment in, in my everyday world. And, and, um, yeah, I, I'm a firm believer that you have to want to shift in order to shift. And, Mm. um, that moment was pivotal for me. There's no doubt. And I was so young, but yet I felt this power rising in me when I just declared, you know, it was like this, the ultimate surrender. Like I cannot, go on like this any longer. Mm-hmm. I, have, I need something drastic to happen here. And, um, I did, you know, and he heard me and I'm blessed to have extremely supportive parents and, you know, we made it happen. I researched, I found a treatment center in Tucson, a holistic treatment center And, um, next thing I knew I packed up my life in Colorado and I drove across country with my dog and got on a plane and went to Tucson and had no idea what was, was coming for me, but it was, it was a huge leap of faith and one that I knew I needed to do.
0: So that was your rock bottom moment. Yes. With a kind of final rock bottom moment. Yes. Um, and it took you to this, um, this commitment and, um, following through being in this treatment center in Tucson. So you're there and what happened there?
1: Um, a lot of really scary shit. <laughs> Do you mind yeah. taking us into the darkness? a little No, bit? I don't. Um, you know, I was, it was a controlled environment. So, you know, all of my ways of coping with all of these feelings and emotions and just deep stuff inside of me that I had not been able to sit with all came up almost immediately, you know, because I, I couldn't been I couldn't purge, you know, I, I was forced to really, I had to sit at meals with everybody. We all had to, you know, wait. I mean, it was excruciating. I can, I really, um, it was, it was, uh, very uncomfortable does not even begin to describe how I felt and, um, and you know, in the same breath, I have to say, it was like a huge sigh of relief. Like, mm-hmm. oh my God, I can finally just be with this stuff and I am held. And um, it was it was an exceptional experience. You know, it was um, just a small treatment center in a, in a house, in a residential house in the middle of the desert. And there were, I think there were maybe eight of us at a time. And it was, it was a holistic approach. So I was really, I had already been practicing yoga, but I was practicing yoga pretty disembodied. You know, I was, mm-hmm. I was using it more as exercise and, and it did end up becoming part of my purge, but, you know, but this program brought me into um, touch with so many different avenues of mindfulness and holistic health and well-being, and, um, you know, we were getting body work. We were getting acupuncture. We had um, movement therapy. We, had, we were in nature a lot. We spent a lot of time in the desert. We did group therapy. We did individual um, you know, nutrition, herbs. I can remember chanting for the first time. One of our therapists oh, wow. brought a Christian CD and we, and I mean, everybody thought she was insane, but I was like, wow, you know, like mm-hmm. this is, this is cool. And um, so, you know, as, as scary and painful as it was, um, I knew I was doing the right thing. And I just kept, I just kept showing up to the best so- of my ability.
0: Yes. So can we back up a little bit? I want to go back before we get to the, you know, the, the relief and the kind of happy outcome. Let's go back into the, the fire, because I think this is, I mean, that's what we're always trying to escape. Right. And this is, I feel like the really important juicy bit. So you're saying that, you know, when you got there, there was sort of a nightmarish experience of actually facing all those things that you were trying desperately not to face using food before. So can you, do you remember what, what kind of things came up? Mm -hmm.
1: You know, it's interesting because you and I spoke a little bit about the level of dissociation that goes along with, um, with, you know, eating disorders and other addictions. And yeah. um, so it's, it's, it's challenging for, for me to articulate the specifics around it. But what I will say is that, you know, I had been essentially um, engaging in this eating disorder since I was seven years old. And here I am, 24. So this is a lot of years of yes. some really uncomfortable stuff. And, um, you know, issues like, you know, self-worth and, you know, I had some sexual abuse that Mm. surfaced, literally it surfaced weeks before when I was in this intensive therapy before I hit the rock bottom, I I remembered. I had not remembered. And this happened when I was 12 years old. Okay. So, you know, it was like... Like feeling that stuff, and and all the shame that I had been carrying around with it, and how I had been acting out as a result of not knowing how to even, you know, formulate any reason as to why this had happened, and how I could function in the world with it, you know, um, my inability to relate to other people, you know, because I had been so consumed with this eating disorder for all these years, I had no relational abilities. You know, I couldn't like carrying on a conversation, eating a meal with other people, Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, you know, so I feel like as I'm speaking, I'm, I'm recognizing it was just a deep insecurity, a deep insecurity as to who I am and who I was. And, um, you know, me tapping in, in all these different, with all these different avenues. And I'm not saying this happened overnight. I was, I lived at this treatment center for, I believe, you know, again, it's all a little bit of a blur, but I believe it was about two months. And then I, um, I left and I relapsed within two weeks and I was back. Um, And then I did outpatient and it was, you know, it was, it was not an overnight process. It was, um, layers of, of work.
0: So when you say outpatient was that different from living there? Was that just yeah, living there? I was, mm-hmm.
1: I was um I had my own housing. I went back, you know, I, I left Tucson and I came back and I had my own I got my own apartment mm-hmm. and I um just went to the treatment center daily for groups and therapy and and that sort of thing to touch in. I would have a meal with them, you know, that sort of stuff. So that was
0: outpatient. That was yeah, the outpatient. Yeah. Right. So Okay. That deeply transformative experience for you. And I just want to, you know, reiterate what I heard you say, you know, all these things that came up, shame. And, you know, I'm finding as I do this work more and work with more and more people, this is like a binding thread, that shame and that um, these feelings of, right, not... um, being able to relate to other people, or how can I function in this world? These big questions, and they're so big that they can feel really overwhelming. And it it, it makes sense why we wouldn't want to face them head on in a way, especially at that young age, especially if we learned from a young age through sexual trauma or any kind of other uh, wounding, deep wounding or trauma, that the world is not a safe place in order to really open up and blossom Mm -hmm. you know, the way that we might, if, if everything was kind of the ideal conditions, right? Who, who is that? I mean,
1: yeah, there's a, a, sorry to interrupt you. There's a, there's a piece about vulnerability there and, um, how there's that inability to be vulnerable. And so Mm -hmm. therefore you can't really, you're not really engaging with your world. You're not really engaging with anybody, <laughs> because you, you are, you are living from a place of shame. You know, I mean, yes, I had the shame from, you know, how I was acting out even before I was aware of the sexual abuse, but how, you know, I was drinking too much. I was smoking too much pot. I was having random sex with random people, you know, like, yeah. I was, so there was that shame, but then there was also the shame around, um, the, the eating behaviors that I was doing every day, you know, and, um, every time I left the house, it was like, oh my God, somebody's going to notice that I ate two cookies or whatever it was, you know, or yeah. somebody's gonna notice that I, I didn't get my full hike in or my full run in or whatever I was doing at the, at the moment. So it was just a constant state of over being overly concerned with what other people thought and, 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 yeah, this, this shame and, and inability to just soften with my, myself and my life and, and live from a place of um, vulnerability. So, I
0: like that. Yeah, softening yeah. Um, feels like a really pertinent word here as well. So tell, tell us, you know, after looking at and being forced in a way, to sit, although it was through the choice and the commitment on your part, to sit with these darker things um, and these bigger questions. What shifted in your life? I'm interested in the real kind of internal state. Um, and we can talk about more external after, but what what shifted inside of you, do you think?
1: Um, you know, I feel like <laughs> what comes to me is... I found the will to live. I found that, um, that inner Mm -hmm. strength that I was, I had no access to, um, until Mm -hmm. I was, you know, essentially forced to, to really, um, be still with what was happening and allow it to rise and, and, um, work through it on, on a different level. So it was, um, this, this, courageous time of, of uncovering my, just my will to, to live a life and to, um, to really show up for myself. So, um, you know, that's, that I feel like is the essence of it. The specifics of, um, my internal process while at treatment, it, it is, you know, again, there was, it was so overwhelming to my yeah. system. So, um, right. you know, it's like you you stick a, um, a drug addict in, in a treatment center and they go through withdrawal, you know, and, right. um, and their withdrawal is more physical because obviously they're, they're, they're needing the drugs, you know, for me, it was a withdrawal process around, um, you know, obviously I was still eating, (laughs) you know, I wasn't not eating, but I was, it was such a, um, controlled environment that I do feel like I went, um, through a withdrawal process and it came out in a lot of very sideways ways, you know, it came out, um, you know, I had a lot of emotion that didn't really have um a name or a root um to it um, you know so that is why at the treatment center we did art you know to try to they were they were really encouraging us to express all these um essentially suppressed emotions through um more ways than just talking you know so um, I don't know if that answers your question. Oh, yeah.
0: I mean, it really does, Alison. Thank you. And, and one thing that you're saying that is really seems key here is that these things that come up when we're no longer suppressing them, mm-hmm. right? Because the food is like constantly, it's like, no, 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 no. Right. You're not going to come up, you know, whether it be, for me, it was rage and anger, mm-hmm. you know, repressed and, or whatever demons or monsters that we have, right, or dragons, however we want to call them, but lurking inside of us, and then when they come up and we just are like, No, And I want to point out for everybody here that this is not just something that you know we we have we've made an internal decision to not let those things surface, and it's not that we're cowardly or afraid. We live in a cultural context that does not encourage us to look at our shadow. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right? I mean, it's like, in the context of this culture, if you feel rage coming up within you, that's like the worst thing that could happen. I mean, it's like, we're told, make it go away in whatever way possible, because that's dangerous and that's not being a nice person. And that, you know, so we're, this is reinforced from our very early age, this is the culture that our parents grew up in. Um, and in fact, what you're saying to us, what I'm hearing is that, in fact, when those things started to come to the surface, those emotions, that was actually a sign of healing. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. I mean, I, you know, especially as a young, you know, teenager and in 20, or you know, early 20s, there was there was no platform for who I really was and my feelings and and mm-hmm. so absolutely you know I was um, I was doing what everybody else was doing except I took it to the extreme you know mm-hmm. and so these feelings oh it was absol- it was it was like sweet relief you know it was not pretty but it was 100% what needed to happen and what I st- you know still 20 years later you know I'm having a hard Weak or whatever, you know. I know when I break down and cry, it's actually a good thing, (laughs) you know. Like when I make the choice to not, you know, eat the cupcake, even though I will eat a cupcake, you know, but if I do that and I'm set, I just let myself feel first. I know that there's um deep healing happening. Deep healing, we are we are meant to live fully embodied lives, you know, feeling all of our emotions, not just the good ones. And, um, you know, I feel like yeah. as we get older, there is more permission, but as teenagers, forget about it. Absolutely not, you know? Yeah. So, um,
0: yeah. yeah. So I I'm, love that. I love what you just said. And, um, and so, you know, fast forward maybe a little bit, from Tucson and from the shift that happened then. So we talked a little bit about what was happening on the inside for you and the transformation, finding the will to live, um, being able to sit with emotions that had been repressed in the past. And so what, what started to happen on the outside? How did your life start to shift externally? Well, it
1: it definitely took time. It was, it was um, a couple year process. And I would say, you know, I, like I said, I did outpatient and I was living in my own apartment. So it was steps. I took steps Mm -hmm. because I was essentially, I felt like I was being reborn. So I felt like a um, vulnerable, raw infant when I came out of treatment, like even going to the grocery store would be, I would, it was terrifying. You know, I, I felt so exposed in a way that I had never before. So I was essentially, you know, starting from scratch and I chose to stay in Tucson because I had a lot of support there. And I, I put myself, I I decided to go into bodywork school at that point, because I knew that I needed community, I needed a container, and I needed to, um, just have a platform to continue my, my journey. You know, I knew that if I just stayed outside, um, of, of a therapeutic, um, you know, supportive community, I was going to drown again and I was going to end up right back where I started. So, I made the choice to to enroll in, um, an incredible program at, um, in Tucson, a holistic body work, uh, program. And, and, um, I, I literally, I feel like every day I cried. There was, um, I continued my process of unfolding and unearthing all these emotions that I had been um, suppressing for all these years, so I, you know, was being touched every day. I was touching people. Like there's nothing mm-hmm. like touch to bring mm-hmm. everything to the surface. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I spent the next year with this um, with this group of, of people and went through this process with them. And, um, you know, that was my next stepping stone. And I, as I went through it, I got stronger and stronger, and I was healing you know, on a deeper and deeper level. And, um, I didn't even know if I wanted to practice body work. I just knew I needed to do that for my own healing journey. Yeah. And, um, so I did that and, and, um, stayed in Tucson and continued. And I, I ended up practicing bodywork. and, you know, I still felt like I would still dip back, you know, I was not, I was not in the clear and, mm-hmm that's really something I've looked at over the years about, you know, this whole, um, term of recovery. Yes, please tell us. You know, I'm, I've recovered from an eating disorder. I don't believe that there is an end point. And what I realize is, is that, um, over these years I've gone through just different variations of it. And, um, you know, right after body work school, I was still, still very much in my, um, in some, in some not great patterns, but I had enough of that will to live in me that I kept rising up, you know, yes. and yes. I feel like as the years have progressed, that part of me has gotten louder and stronger and more upright. And so I have been able to, um, you know, I don't want to say stuffed down because I still feel the feelings, but I, I don't engage. And, um, Mm -hmm. you know, but I feel like it took a long time, a long time. And, um, was I not in recovery? No, I was absolutely in recovery. (laughs) Um, but for me, it it took, it was a process, you know, I know everybody has a different journey, you know, and I know, who I got out of treatment with and they put themselves on a meal plan and they, you know, they followed through with everything and they, you know, they dealt with their stuff and and they never once went back. You know, that was just not my experience. So, yeah.
0: And I, you know, I find this really interesting because again, it's like layers. We can, you know, we can find ourselves shrouded in shame in any one of these layers right like when we're um when we've quote unquote recovered but and yet there are still these feelings up for us and we still feel vulnerable sometimes i don't know anyone who doesn't go to those places you know and, and most people i knew know do have some way of coping um, and and so that shame can kind of resurface Right. So, so it's this, um, I just really find it important that we're in the mind frame of the practice, you know, always coming back. And what are we coming back to? You know, what, what is that home that we find inside ourselves, that inner peace that lets us continue even when we've just fallen off the wagon, or maybe we don't want to look at it that way, or however, uh, but but in moments when we feel like, oh, that wasn't really a recovered kind of thing to do,
1: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? Absolutely. Um, yeah. And I want to say that, you know, for years, I didn't really even have, even after treatment, I can honestly say I did not really have access to that, that, um, place of inner peace much, Mm -hmm. you know, moments, you know, as usually I would, there was an incredible yoga studio there. And that was kind of my safe haven. And, um, you know, I would definitely have those, those moments of touching in, but I, I was still in quite a bit of angst, but you know, what I had uncovered in, in beginning and treatment was just this, um, Deep faith in myself and in my um, ability to continue to rise up, and um, you know, I, I I held on to those little moments of, of inner peace and lightness, and um, I consciously or unconsciously, I I believe that I knew that I, that I was going to get better, even when. Even though I didn't feel like it, and it was discouraging to be um, still, still dealing with this stuff for for so many years, you know. Um, yeah. But, yes. but keeping that that thread of faith and and just this unwavering um, trust in myself to, um, to to continue to to move forward. So.
0: So what would you say to somebody who is, I mean, let's go through some different stages here because our listeners can be in, you know, and are on the spectrum. So what would you say to someone who's still in the thick of their uh, habits and patterns and is just, you know, if they're listening to the podcast, then they have some awareness that things can be different, um, But they're like, you know, can I get to that window? Where is that window? How do I make my way there? Mm -hmm. Let's get down to the nitty gritty.
1: I recommend, um, and I use a lot, and I actually can remember doing this in treatment, um, standing at the mirror and speaking compassionate and kind messages to myself, looking myself in the eye and, um, you know we would in, and in treatment we would stand in full length mirrors and 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 do this we put post its up and i still i still have post its around my house and I, mm-hmm. I tell people to do this oh yeah i do too mm-hmm. no, yeah, it is it is um such a simple but really powerful way of bringing yourself back um so that is one one way i feel Cultivating some sort of mindfulness practice, um, be it yoga. I am a huge believer in meditation. Um, you know, I grew up a dancer, so movement has always been a part of, of my uh, path. Um, so you have to have some, there has to be some um, avenue for communication with yourself. And you have to. With yourself, you said. Stuff. Yes. So, um, you know, interrupting these these thought patterns, um, we absolutely can repattern our brains to say different things and to to deliver different messages to ourselves. But it takes work and it takes consistency. So, um, I'm I'm really um, I really support people in in cultivating a mindfulness practice so that they may have that moment, even if it's just a fleeting moment of like, wow, I just said something really terrible to myself. I need to shift that right now. Yes, um, But we can't if we're on autopilot. It just doesn't happen.
0: Right. Or if that's just like our inner monologue all the time. And I right?
1: am here. Oh yes. Years of that being the inner monologue. Years and years and years. I would almost say decades of that being the inner monologue.
0: And you and I, you know, just to interject here, you and I, when we were talking, we had tea recently and we were talking about, um, this, you know, with eating disorders, there's really a deep thread oftentimes, not for everybody necessarily at all, but there's often this deep Uh self-criticism and this is right. Like everything has to be perfect all the time. And if it's not, then were horrible, and um, Lisa Jo Landsberg, a really wonderful yoga practitioner and instructor, was on this show and she said like the one thing that she finds across the board with people with eating disorders, women with eating disorders, is self-hatred. She used that word, but you know I was I've been looking at my self-criticism patterns, and I tell you, Allison, I was at the oven the other day and I was having a conversation with my partner. Jeremy, about all of these things, uh, you know the self-criticism, and because I am still unearthing all of these sheets, uh-huh. and you know, and it's like noticing my relationship with my mom, and probably her relationship with her mom, and just this kind of mother line stuff that I think is really related a lot of the time. And so I was telling him about this deep self-criticism that I have about needing to be perfect at all times, and then lo and behold, I burnt the sweet potatoes, right? I was making sweet potato fries and I burnt them and just like a tiny little bit at the ends. And I go, you see, and and Jeremy, you know, he looks at me and he goes, you, you know, I I said to him something again, like I commented, you know, the, the self-critical voice, it's just there all the time because I'm starting to get conscious of it right before it used to be that it was just not even conscious. That was my monologue all the time. But he looks at me and he goes, what, did you just think you were a piece of shit because you burnt the sweet potatoes? And I was like, yes, you know, that's exactly what had happened for me. And this is every single moment. So imagine like living in a body and a mind that is constantly telling you you're not good enough. Yeah. And how badly do we need a break from that? Mm -hmm. So what you're saying, you know, becoming conscious of it, Absolutely. That's the first step. I mean, in my book. Yeah. yeah Continue.
1: 100%, 100%. No, I mean, you know, I, I don't know. I, that, that's, it's just so painful to, to even hear that and to um, just acknowledge how many of us live with that um, reality, you know, yeah. and, and, yeah spend most of our lives um being so hard on ourselves like really if you think about it they were just sweet potatoes like really (laughs) who cares you know that's right but it's like you know with anything we can go down this this road of just self-loathing i mean i had i used the word self-loathing which to me feels like oh i was loathing myself for years you know i mean why, (laughs) you know, um, we are our worst, um, our worst, you know, self critics. And, you know, it's like, if you actually take the time and you have these moments of looking at that and, and hearing yourself speak to yourself, you're like, Oh my God, I would never say that to somebody else. Never. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I really get it. I get it. And, um, you know, that I feel like has been such a huge piece in my, um, recovery process. You know, it's like actually having the courage to, um, to, to say no to these voices, you know, and to to create new pathways in my brain, new pathways in my, the way that I speak uh, to myself. And then it naturally translates to the way that I speak to others. Um, mm-hmm. to keep the, the courage to keep showing up, you know, even though maybe I didn't have a quote unquote perfect day. I mean, what does that really mean? Truly, you know, I mean, yeah. I have days where, you know they're so busy, and I'm spinning. I'm a single mom, I have a seven year old and i wow. you know I work, I'm in school, and I have days where food you know, I'm grabbing stuff. You know, yeah. I, mean, I admittedly had popcorn the other night for dinner, and like, <laughs> awesome. it was awesome. And you know, I was just too. T- I got home late. I was too tired to yeah. to fix myself something. You know, and in the past, oh my god, I would have beat myself up about it. You know, and yeah. I would have vowed to myself, "Oh, you're going to do extra exercise the next day, or whatever right. it is." You know, and what I feel like I've gotten to through my mindfulness practices is just this place of, oh, you know what? It's okay. It's this, you know, it's okay. You, you, you know, you didn't eat the best meal as your last meal of the day, but, oh, well, you know, like I still love you. I still, um, you know, know that you're, you're a good person, you know, it's like, we, we, um, we turn these things on ourselves to the point where it just, it becomes this cycle. And, um, it's like getting out of, I always imagine, um, the hamster wheel
0: yeah. and,
1: you know, you're like running in the hamster wheel and you're just, it's like, you know, the food and then the punishment, the food, then the punishment, yeah. and the punishment, you know, and it's yeah. like, so you can interrupt that, cycle and you get, you step off the hamster wheel and you take some breaths and you recognize you're a human being, a very imperfect human being. Um, and, and you love yourself anyhow, that's where the, that's where the medicine comes. That's where the good juice comes, you
0: know? So yes. And I, you know, someone said to me yesterday, Mm -hmm. um, and it triggered me to no end. Mm-hmm. is a coach and he's, he's actually a friend. He's not my coach, but he, um, you know, it was triggering because it, you know, spoke to something about me that wasn't resolved. And he said, what if, cause I'm going through these things right now with my partner where I am still very controlling about food, mm-hmm. you know, even though I've gotten way far down the road from where I used to be. Um, still I'm very controlling. I want my family to eat very healthy and, um, you know, and he's just not like, he is just really chilled out, laid back. He's fine with, you know, pancakes and jam and maple syrup for breakfast. And I'm like freaking out, you know, looking at my kids eating this and he's just, you know, so we, we've had a lot of, um, conversations there and dialogue there. And yesterday we're sitting with our friend who's a coach and, and he goes, he looks at me and he goes, well, what if one way of thinking about it is that the food is the symptom, not the cause Mm -hmm. that addiction is the symptom and not the cause. And like I said, it triggered me, you know, because it brought up these parts of me that weren't yet healed that are not yet healed, that are still being, um, you know, that are still kind of under the, uh, welding process, if you will. And so when you say this and you're talking about being, you know, being able now to have a bowl of popcorn for dinner and feel fine about it really and love yourself and just, you know, like it's cool.
1: Yeah.
0: That what I want to underscore there is that that is a symptom Mm -hmm. of all the inner work that you've done. Right. I mean, you, it's like, I've been to that place where I tried to say to myself, you know what, why don't I just relax around food? Why don't I just step back and, you know, eat the thing that I want to eat and and just love myself for it and feel fine. But it doesn't really work that way. Or at least for me, it hasn't until I've done the work of dancing with those deeper feelings and actually going in there and being with those places and bringing self love when it was the hardest then the you know over time the result of that is becoming more chilled out but it's not like we can just slap, snap our fingers or at least i have never seen yeah. it happen and yeah. and you know snap our fingers and we're more chilled out yeah. snap our fingers and we're you know self-loving all the time <laughs> what's that I said, wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> it would be so nice. I mean, this road can feel like the most challenging thing because yeah. it can feel unfair, yeah. right? It can be like, how come everyone else can eat what they want to eat? Yeah. How come everyone else can just be relaxed about it?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, yes. I, I, um, you know people were always saying to me and I was always like, you know, kind of wanting to flip them off. Like, it's not about the food. And, and back in the day I was like, are you kidding me? It's absolutely about the food, you know, but um, now I get it. It is actually not about the food. It is about my internal state around um, who I am and, and how I want to live my life and how I'm choosing every single day and every day it's a choice, you know, and for me as to if I want to waste and at this juncture in my life, it feels like a waste of energy to be um, fixating on my food intake and what I'm eating or not eating and how much I'm exercising. And, you know, I, I eat whatever I want to eat. I truly do. And mm. therefore I do not obsess. Yeah. And I never in my life thought I could get to this point. Wow, um,
0: amazing Allison. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It feels um it feels significant and it feels like I um I don't know. I I you know, I just hope <laughs> I hope that I can my message can inspire. And I, I hope that, um, you know, I, I have done a lot of work around this and I have had such perseverance and commitment to myself, um, and unraveling all of it that, um, you know, to get to this point. And, um, you know, and again, it has not been a straight and narrow road by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, I got pregnant I felt horrible. I was so sick my whole pregnancy, and I, I, to me, it felt like a relapse. I was so engaged in my eating disorder when I was pregnant. Mm-hmm. I Could not get out, and um, I just, I felt horrible. I was not at peace with my growing body, and um, you know, so you know, there, that was another layer. That was another huge layer that I. Mm-hmm through So um, not to bring a, a whole other subject in but... Um, I think I, it's an important one. Yeah. I want to do a show on it at some point. I think it would be great. You know, I think that um, I feel that that uh, women I mean, you know, all women go through massive changes, obviously, when you become pregnant and become mothers and yeah. plus who, who have severe um, issues around our um, <clears throat> body the image and and what we're eating and not eating and um, exercise, et cetera, like getting pregnant can be extremely triggering. You know, I thought I was good before I got pregnant. And then I was like, Whoa, this stuff is still here. It's still here, you know, and this is um, eight years into my recovery. So,
0: and I can just imagine like, you know, I, I just right now where I am on my journey and, and, um i can just imagine like every time that that part of us comes up some some part of us any part of us that we want to be critical of mm-hmm. if we can go in there and just bring love and just like mm-hmm. bring softness Absolutely. it's like it's okay and yeah. and that many of us it's a level of softness that we've actually never known we never got it from our parents 100%. not because they're bad but because it wasn't the culture yeah. and you know it's this level of softness that is so deep and what i you know i'm going to take a word from your bio is unconditional
1: yeah
0: it's unconditional yeah. it's like whatever you do whatever you eat whatever you do whatever you do i'm here i love you yes yeah. so that's my job and Mm
1: -hmm. You know, unconditional self-acceptance is so tremendous in my world and in my work um, because there's never going to be that perfect moment where, you know, for years, again, I spent, oh, well, when I reach this weight or when I fit into this pants, or when I go on the five-mile hike or whatever it was or when I eat have the perfect day of eating, then I will be at peace with myself. Well, that's, it just doesn't happen. It just does not happen that way. You know, it is, um, gosh, things I, am not feeling great in my body, but you know what? I'm going to sit here and I'm going to take some deep breaths into my belly and I am going to soften and I'm going to just infuse myself with self-acceptance unconditionally And, um, that, that's where,
0: like, that's where things start really shifting. So, um, you know, one thing that I've thought of, I just have gotten this thought come to me at at times. And I wonder if you'll resonate with this, you know, in just moments of intense clarity, Mm -hmm. um, I've had this feeling like, you know what, this eating disorder is a gift because, I would never be motivated to get this intimate with myself, to get this yeah. present if I didn't have moments where I felt so bad. Because when you're feeling perfect, it's like you don't need anything. You don't need to bring presence. Right. You don't need to, you know, you just, you're flying on that same level that you're on and and there's no problem. But the second that like there's a problem here and some things, you know, something feels yucky inside of me, then we get called. Absolutely. And it becomes an organic process, right? To bring our awareness and bring our presence. So um, I wonder if you'll resonate with me on this kind of feeling of yeah. this is a gift.
1: Oh, I, oh, absolutely. I give thanks every day that I have walked the path I have, you know, enough wow. course have moments i like, God, I wish I had gotten it a little bit earlier. You know, I'm 42 now and I'm like, wow, I really, you know, I, I don't like looking at it as a, a wasted years, but um, mm-hmm. but they, this eating disorder has been 100% um, a gift and it has really shaped who I am and my ability to um, show up in the world And, you know, for me now, it's a gauge, you know, I know, you know, I've had, last year was a very hard year for me. Um, and I, I've heard that from a few people. Yeah. 2016 was a doozy. And Mm -hmm. I have to say that now this eating disorder and the behaviors around it and the voices and, um, all of it, I, it's a it's a gauge for me as to um, how far away I'm stepping from myself. Yeah, I'm dealing with some challenge. If I stay close to myself, it does not um, throw me off. But if I am so far out and so blown out by by life and by the circumstances that are happening. And all of a sudden I'm in this, I find myself in this um, obsessive compulsive way of thinking and feeling and being and doing. And I'm like, okay, all right. I hear you. You know, I hear you. I need to pull it in. I need to get back into my body. I need to feel what I'm feeling and, and just interrupt the process, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, Oh, a hundred percent. I feel like this, this has been, um, my greatest teacher, this in motherhood.
0: <laughs> wow. Yes. I love that. And, and so, um, you know, I, I just out of my own personal curiosity and to hear what your answer would be for this now, you know, because when, when we're fixated on food, our all our focus is there,
1: right? Yes.
0: So where is your focus now? Like where is where is the juice in your life coming from? Mm-hmm. That's such a good
1: question, um, and and one that I, um, you know, I in in recently have really become aware of how much time my eating disorder consumed you know um yes now i am you know i like i said i'm a mom and my son um you know i i've been his primary caregiver for six plus years and um so you know raising him obviously is my number one priority i um my work life is just going to the next level and i am just getting so much inspiration um, to the point where I'm waking up in the middle of the night and writing things down. Um, mm. Just things are just coming through me. Um, I, mm. write and I write, I um, write, and I've submitted articles to be published. I've had a couple published on Yoga Anonymous, um, and um, you know I'm able to be in an intimate relationship, and um, which I I have not been able to be in. You know, mm. for most of my Actually, I would say for all of my adult life up until now. Okay. And I didn't
0: um, know that about you, that you're, you're partnered. partner. Well, in. it's, it's complicated. Okay. Okay. <laughs> but, but this is, this is something that <laughs> but, with the eating disorder has, <laughs> has, I didn't mean to open
1: a kid. <laughs> no, it's, um, it, it's just, you know, not exactly um, on the public radar, but Got it. um it is. It's. It's happening, and I am watching my the way that I'm I'm able to show up, and I never could have done this. You know, um, yeah. While I was in while I was in the thick of it. So That's awesome. Um. Yeah. It just. It's. It's energy is it has been freed and mental space and um, you know I um, actually enjoy my exercise. I enjoy movement and I have committed to myself that I will only move my body in a way that feels good. I will never punish myself again for mm. what I or, um, you know, through, through forcing myself to exercise. I have, I have, um, come to love and appreciate rest. Mm illness and rest restorative yoga has become um just such a huge part of my my world and oh when i was in the eating disorder there's no way because i wasn't burning calories you know no. so um yeah it's just it is an entirely different way of functioning of operating of existing and um you know one that um i you know i in some ways i feel like i have struggled And, um, you know, and again, I'm going to say again that every day is not roses by any means, you know, I still go through my stuff, but I feel like I have, um, I just have, I have such a deep inner strength that, um, that I just keep falling back to. So, and just such faith in, in who I am and what my work is on the planet.
0: Allison, I want to thank you, you know, for bringing on the show this, an example of um, the path that's not straight and narrow. I mean, we've had, you know, we've had guests on the show that that did what some of your friends from treatment did and went on a food plan. And even those, I mean, to be honest, and those, you know, listeners who've heard those shows, even for, for those folks, it hasn't been really straight and narrow, even if, you know, it the story might sound more like it. There's always these moments of like, oh yeah, I had a bad 2016 and I binged, you know, like many times or whatever it is. But what I want to, I just want to honor the courage um, and the deep authenticity in bringing to us today a story that is um, really points for me when I listen to it to doing the deep work and focusing on always going back to the deep work, the self-love, uh, the being with yourself, staying close to yourself. I love that. You know, if if we're talking about like action steps and I love the post-its, you know, that you were talking about, but just this staying close to yourself, Mm -hmm. staying close to myself, that to me is such a, a nugget that we can all take. And, um, so thank you for, for bringing all this courage and all of this kind of, um, you know, it feels to me like a real warriorship to, to always be going back to the real work.
1: Thank you so much. I, um, I just appreciate that reflection very much. And, um, yeah, I have, I have a whole bunch of tools in my toolbox to, um, you know, that I use to, to bring myself back, back home, you know, and back to my heart and to to my body and you know to me the most important thing is 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 being in our bodies you know and because we do exit when when we're engaging
0: yeah
1: um yeah I just I'm I'm very grateful for this opportunity to just just share a piece of my story and um you know I hope that that your listeners can can truly take something away from from my words and and my journey
0: yeah Absolutely, Allison. So uh where can we find more of you? <laughs> <laughs>
1: um well you can go on my website and that is um just allisonrothman.com. It's Allison with one L. Um I'm also slightly reluctantly on Facebook. Uh-huh. Uh, and my um Facebook page is embody your life um and so through either of those
0: avenues okay um great well thank you again and i look forward to having more conversations with you for some reason i have a feeling that you'll be back on curb the binge uh and we'll we'll have more maybe that's wishful thinking but i look forward to more um honest raw conversations like this one
1: Sounds great. I would love it. And um, I look forward to the next chapter with you as well. So thank you again. Awesome.
0: Yeah. Take care. Take bye, Arsene. Bye bye. That's all, folks, for today, but just for today. Um, in fact, there is plenty more much, much more where that came from. And every time I share with you in this way, I just feel more fire and more motivation and energy to keep going with this work. Um, Thank you for listening because you make it possible through your receptivity, your um, needing this work and your uh, need for a community and for um, support even in this kind of remote way, um, that seems impersonal. And yet, through podcasting, through these kind of virtual conversations, we can have a profound effect on each other. If you have an idea for a podcast, a question, or even a person that you would like interviewed, please email info at curbthebinge.com. I cannot promise that I will have that person on the show. But I will definitely try um, really, you know, my best because this conversation is what's important to me and um, I want to make it as rich and vibrant as we can. If you would like to be part of the private Facebook group, private means that nobody except other members in the group knows unless you want to share with them that you are part of this group. And it's the Curb the Binge Facebook group. It's private, it's secret. And um, if you want to be a part of it, email info at CurbTheBinge.com. I realize it's very sensitive material we're working with. For many of us, there's a lot of shame around it, um, especially kind of until we start to engage in a community and realize, oh, I'm not alone there are so many people who feel the same way I do. And, um, so that's a really good step that you can take for yourself in your healing journey is to, um, write to us. Let me know it can just be one line. Please make me part of the private Facebook group. And I will. Um, what else that might be it for now? Um, you heard my message in the beginning, leave us an iTunes review. Uh, you can donate to CurbTheBinge.com, um, and the podcast itself on CurbTheBinge forward slash podcast. And, um, that's all for now. And I'll be seeing you very, very soon. Take good care.